And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. And this will be the last sermon that we have uh, in the book of Revelations before we get into the Advent season where we take four weeks leading up to uh, Christmas to to look at um, awesome things like hope and love and peace and joy. Um, and before we get into this sermon today, I just I, I find it amazing the way that God schedules things out. We finish the Psalms in such a time to where we can start Revelation and we can finish the seven churches before we break for Advent and then we get into uh, chapter four and five in, in the new year. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, but this break of Advent to just kind of set ourselves on Christ, to set our, our year on Christ and just our, our minds focused on him for that uh, four weeks is going to be, I hope it's going to be amazing for all of us. But if you guys would <clears throat> stand with me and please pray this prayer and then I will, uh, I will read Revelation 14 through 22. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Blessed are the readers hearers and keepers of this word and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation I know your works you are neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquer and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You guys may be seated. Jesus is clearly our leader. One of the beautiful things in the seven churches is that Jesus is in charge. Jesus has this for us. He is the one who goes before us in all things. He is the firstborn from among the dead. But just even as Jesus said, he is at the beginning of all creation. Even before Abraham, which is all the way back in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. And he shows us over and over again that he is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is before all creation and he will be there long after this creation, this earth passes away. His kingdom will endure forever. And Jesus has endured the entire scope of humanity and our history. 
And it's a beautiful thing. And in that, and from that position, as one who's been there the entire time, Jesus calls us, his followers, those who've said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. He calls us to endure with him. But he's gone before us. He's endured it all. And as we follow him, he knows, he knows better than we know that it won't always feel awesome. That, it, there, won't, that there will be hard times that people will revile us for our faith, but that he has been faithful and he wants us to be faithful as well. He has endured and as long as we are walking with him, we can endure too. That is his hope for us. That is what he wants for us. Jesus has been a witness to everything that's taken place. More than that, he, he can even see motives, whereas we cannot. He knows what motivates us. And in the introduction to this church, the church in Laodicea, he starts off by letting us know that he has endured, that he has done all this endurance faithfully. He's done it to the best of his ability. He has been the true witness to see the power of God's grace and God's love and what that can do in a person's life. And it should give us some courage and some hope to know that He's lasted a lot longer than we have, that he knows that he's seen it, and he still says, follow me. And we just keep going. We make a daily practice of following Jesus. And Jesus has witnessed the works and deeds of the Laodiceans. He has seen them. He has seen their motive. He has seen what moves them. And these works that the Laodiceans have are lackluster and they're not what they intended to be, were intended to be. There were two cities that were close to Laodicea. One city had a hot spring. The other city had um, a cold spring. People would go to the hot spring for rest and relaxation. Think of a hot tub, pre-hot tub hot tubs, where they would go and they would be in their place like a modern day spa and it would rejuvenate, rejuvenate them. And it would be uh, just a spa type experience that for those who made the journey. And then in the other direction from Laodicea, there would have been this place with a cold spring where the water uh, had a mineral substance to it in in the water was cold and pure and it tasted great and it refreshed people and many people went there for refreshing and healing think of all the mineral springs here in the in the united states that people would go to as seen as places for healings like drink this water have this tonic that's what this other place would have been seen as so people um, would go there also to be refreshed or even for healing now, if you put either the hot spring water or the cold spring water into a cup and bring it back to Laodicea, it would have been lukewarm. The, the hot would cool down and the cold would warm up and neither water was what it was intended to be as you took it away from the source where it's got its great qualities. As you take the cup of hot or cold water, and you're keeping them away for a long time, is as if if we walk away from Jesus and we're still trying to do good works, but we're out of what Jesus has for us, the love that he has for us. When we do good works, we don't move away from the one who wants us to do good works in his name. Or the good works, uh, there are good works that are done without Christ. 
And those are the good works that get spit out for. We need to be tethered to Christ, tethered to him. We need to be in, uh, you could think of it this way, in the river of Christ. We need to be constantly in that current. Left to our own, we are not great. And we get to remain in that current with Jesus and stay united with him and do the work that he has for us. Do the work that he has for us. We do not want to be spit out for doing good works, amen? We don't want our good works to just be our own good works. Good works are exhausting and we get to do them and we get to even be zealous for them. But when they're done under our own power, they're absolutely exhausting and they're absolutely worthless. Good works that are spit out are done in the name of our own glory and for our own fame. And we are supposed to do things for Jesus' name and his fame and his glory. The works, we work for the glory of God in all things, right? God cares about his glory and we get to care about his glory in our life as we are learning to follow Jesus and walk as we are intended to walk with him as Jesus would have us that we don't get to, or we don't have to get away from our intended purposes that he has for us. Hot is refreshing, cold is refreshing, lukewarm is not. Lukewarm though, if you think about it this way, lukewarm can still work as a bath, right? It's just not as refreshing, it's not as relaxing. Or if you have a cup of lukewarm water and you're thirsty and dying of thirst, you can still drink that and it still quenches our thirst. It's just not rewarding. It's not rewarding. It, it, it may look like it's doing the same work, but it is not. And so even in this and throughout the entire letter to the, the seven churches, let us repent of the works that we have done away from our, our source of Jesus. And let us follow Jesus into the works that he has for us. Let us wade into the river of Jesus And that is where we find our life and our works and where they're most fulfilling. Now, as we looked at this this week, usually when I I put together a sermon or we're in a, a certain text, there's one verse that sticks out to me and just resonates with me all week. And this was verse 17 for me and where it just spoke to my soul. And it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And it struck me this week, for we say that we are rich, but we are not. We are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We think that we don't have needs, but we do. We think that we don't have or or need to have poverty, and yet we do. You can even think of it this way. Some of the most materially wealthy people in the world are still in this world's deepest poverty. Here in the West, we are among the richest the world has ever seen. The majority of us uh, have all of our needs met, all of them. And so we are free to climb Maslow's hierarchy of needs and spend more time on self-actualization and self-realization. You can, this is proof because if you can tell me what your Enneagram number is or you can tell me what your personality profile is or what, what you are on the whatever personality profile, this shows us that we're, in, we're past going, um, I just need some bread today. 
We're past going, I wish I had a roof over my house. We're past that and into some other self-actualizations idea, but we still get to realize that we are needy, far more needy than we know. Jesus here is reminding us that if we think we're rich, we're in a bad spot. We better watch out because that is not a good place to be. And we are far more needy than we know. Um, Tish Harrison Warren, in her book that I would recommend to anybody, Liturgy for the Ordinary, says this, We gaze in weakness with dim eyes on the power of God. Even as we can, if we can see full strength, it is still not enough to see the scope of the power of God. The truth is, is that we are weak. Or you could say it this way, we are weaklings. We're weaklings. We don't come into this world to win or live the best life now. We come to be obedient and faithful in that obedience to Christ in all things. And the truth is that Jesus makes some people look strong in this world. Some people have money in this world. And he makes some people look weak. And he uses the weak things of this world to shame the wise. And I think Hebrews 11, 32 through 40 summarize this perfectly for us. And it says, it says this, it says, what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. They received, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through, uh, com- though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And as we are joined in faith with God our Father, we are joined to the source. And in this source, some conquer kingdoms and some stop the jaws of lion. Some work for justice where those works actually get seen. And some receive promises. And others as they held on to their faith and they followed Jesus, weren't conquerors. They were beaten, imprisoned, mistreated, killed, even sawn in two. Our life as Christians is not our life. It's not our life. We have surrendered it to Jesus, who Hebrews goes on to say in in chapter 12 that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter for our faith. And Jesus tells us that he came for the sick, not for those who are well. Those who believe that they are well, those who believe that they are rich, don't think that they need Jesus. 
Those who are needy, that's us. Us, we are needy. We are weak, poor, naked, and blind. And may God give us the eyes to see that and live out of that. Because as we live out of that weakness and that poor poverty and nakedness and blindness, that's when we allow Jesus to be Jesus in our life and really work. Tish Harrison Warren goes on to say about this passage, she says, those who were winning at life saw no need for this life-disrupting Savior. The people of God are losers, misfits, and broken. This is good news and humiliating. We follow, and as we do, we are being refined. It's a process. We're in practice. We're still working this, our, our faith out in fear and trembling. We are exchanging worldly wealth for spiritual gold. We get this spiritual gold by going through trials, by being refined, by enduring and being faithful as Jesus who went before us is faithful and endured. And as we follow Jesus, he provides all that we need. We have not, as, as, we, have, uh, as we have rep, uh, a reputation to speak of, we don't have a reputation to speak of. Jesus gives us his reputation. Now we know that Jesus isn't always highly thought of, but we know that Jesus is the best. We know what Jesus thinks of us is the best. We are poor, but Jesus gives us his wealth, the real wealth of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He gives us these gifts, but he also takes our filthy rags and gives us his white garments that he is purified by his broken body and his shed blood that he died for on the cross to save us and rescue us and give us these things. These gifts are free, but they cost Jesus so much. Jesus also gives us eyes to see. He gives us salve for our blindness. He heals our blindness. He gives us the Holy Spirit that enables us to see Jesus for who he really is. We cannot say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. We are led and guided by the very Spirit of God that Jesus led, left for us. And by Jesus, uh, his help, we strive to live in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is the one who helps us remain in Christ, who helps us stay in the river, in the current of Christ, in all things. He allows us to follow Jesus and remain there through all the hard times. But the Holy Spirit does one other thing that is beautiful, that shows us that we're loved. He convicts us. We don't follow Jesus perfectly. We don't do good works perfectly, but we keep trying. And the Holy Spirit points out the areas that we don't measure up to Christ. And when he does, this leaves us humble and dependent on Christ for all things until we see him face to face in his kingdom to come. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are convicted and then educated. We are corrected and instructed. We are exposed and then invited into this practice where we can learn to walk with Jesus. We are reproved and disciplined. These things used to be scary to me. I don't know what 
what they are. I don't like the, the parts of myself that are phony. I don't like finding out what those are, let alone having everybody else see them. I don't like when my weakness is exposed. And yet when this is done, it is not out of punishment or humiliation in front of others. Jesus' motivation for this is love. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And we get to do that. We get to look at those spots that don't line up with Jesus. And out of love, love being our motivation, we get to move out of these and see the way that Jesus is always working. And as Jesus works his love in and through our lives, it's good to be exposed and dive into a deeper life with him. But as, as we get comfortable with the fact that we are weak and poor and pitiable and blind, humility, as humiliating as it can be, is where we get to be, where we get to live. We don't appear as winners. We can be losers because we know that we are going to one day be victorious with Christ. And even if it means losing, we follow Jesus. When we are really honest with ourselves, we realize that we are not as significant as we want to be. Amen? When we are not as influential as we'd like to be, we don't have as much as we want. We don't have as much knowledge, money, wealth. It doesn't matter. We don't have it. Our internal state is not as secure as it might appear to be to others. And we can clothe ourselves with money. We can clothe ourselves with a good reputation, with nice clothes and pretty smiles. None of these things are bad. None of them are bad. They're all good and can be used for God by His purposes and for His glory. However, there is an emptiness or a shallowness that can accompany these things if they're done outside of the current that God has for us. We hide behind certain things and we don't have to hide. I think about, when I think about hiding, I think of Radiohead's song, uh, Fake Plastic Trees. For much of the world is, uh, it, that we build for ourselves, it's like green plastic watering cans for fake Chinese rubber plants and the fake plastic earth. And as the song says, it wears her out, it wears her out because it is exhausting. It is exhausting when we live for ourselves because our true state, our true selves are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This is a more honest state. And when we realize this and live out of the love that we are being corrected out of this, then we are able to see Jesus can heal the sick and we don't have to pretend that we're well. We can be honest with our sickness. Amen. We know that we are loved if we are being corrected. We know that we are loved if we are being corrected. And if only our children would realize this, right? If only our children would realize this, that we love and we correct. This is a blessing. Jesus is standing at our door knocking and we get to invite him in and to more and more of our lives. Last week we saw, I find it interesting because I've never seen this correlation before. Last week in Revelation, in the church to Philadelphia, we saw that Jesus holds the keys. Jesus can lock and unlock any door that he wants, and yet he stands at our door and he knocks. This shows us 
that he is not going to force us to follow him. He is inviting us to follow him. And we get to open the door and follow Jesus as he stands there and knocks. This is not a one-time thing, but as C.S. Lewis says in the last battle, we go further up and further in to Christ. We go further up and into the life that Jesus has for us. This world that he has for us is infinite because he is infinite. And as we walk with Jesus, over time, he becomes more real. And let us keep following him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us keep inviting Jesus into our life. He, become, uh, he is becoming to us, or he has come to us, and we get to follow him at all times. I love this idea that Rich Mullins, and, and I, I don't know where I saw it, I just know it, it's Rich Mullins. He said, somebody read a verse like this where Jesus, behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and when he was in middle school, he, he accepted, he opened the door to Christ and then when he was in high school, every time somebody said this, he did it a couple times at camps where he was renewed and rejuvenated, a couple times in college. And as his life went on, he said, I'm realizing that Jesus is knocking all the time and I get to keep answering the door and keep walking with him step by step. And that's what we get to do. We get to keep opening the door to Christ in our lives. Every single day, we wake up, we allow Christ in. And here's the beautiful thing. If we endure with Christ, he will grant us to sit with him on the throne. Us to sit with him on the throne. This is a great reward. And I, I pray that we don't forget the rewards that are offered in these letters to the churches. They are unbelievable. To all seven churches, he offers reward. We will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, they will not be hurt by the second death. We will be given hidden manna and a white stone with a new name written on the stone will be the name that no one knows except the one who receives it because God is that personal to us. We will be given authority over nations and we will be given victory or the morning star. We will be given white garments and our names will be blot, will never be blotted out of the book of life. And Jesus will confess our name before God the Father. We will become pillars in the temple of God. We will have the name of God and the name of the new city, the Jerusalem, the city of God written on us, as well as the name of Jesus. And finally, we get to sit on the throne of God with Jesus. Let us not forget that there are some amazing rewards for those who endure with Christ, those who give up their life for God and follow him in all his ways. We don't do it for the rewards, but we still get them. And if one thing is clear through these seven letters is that Jesus loves us, that he is in control, and that he wants us to endure for all time. He doesn't want us to go away from him. Whatever good or bad may come, may we Grace and Mercy Church, may we remain with him and be found in him forever. Let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches and let us remain with Jesus forever. Jesus, will you seal this work on our hearts that we may dwell with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name.
Amen.